Welcome back to Here and There, the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. This is Günther once again. For this episode, a couple of notes up front. The audio levels vary a little bit simply because of Zoom connectivity as in the last couple of episodes, we are still doing the podcast remotely connecting via various networks. And then also this particular episode in the beginning, we talk about the upcoming classes for fall 2020. The episode was recorded in August of 2020. So if you're listening this already in the fall or perhaps after the fact, then please scrub on forward, check the show notes for when we talk about topic number two, which is actually German TV. We take a short stroll down memory lane before we talk about contemporary programs that you can watch on various networks just to get some German diet in your TV watching. And then last but not least, we're also looking into the fall regarding the Oktoberfest and a Turkish concert at the GEI. So this episode is pretty slam packed. Enjoy. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. Where Germanic speaking European countries, Germany, Deutschland, Deutschland. Austria, Österreich, Switzerland, Schweiz. Schweiz. Blend with the Midwestern United States. Hello. Hello. We are here and there, and we invite you to come along on the journey. We are once again remote, virtual. We are looking at each other's lovely faces via Zoom. With me today, once again, Claudia. Claudia, wie geht's? Grüß Gott, I'm doing well, thank you. And Katrin, looks like you're sitting at home on the porch. Katrin, wie geht's? Ganz gut, danke, moin. Moin. Let me just check in first and foremost. I think most people are interested actually, what, what's the situation at the house right now? How are we doing? What are the classes like? Uh, what, is, what is the atmosphere? What is, what is the mood, Claudia? Yeah, so it's, uh, we're kind of partially open. We've been running summer camps uh, since the end of June, but uh, we're limiting access for the public. So currently staff members and program participants are welcome to join us at the house. And if you do want to uh, meet with us at the house, feel free to give us a call and uh, make an appointment so we can make sure people are here because we're not open for full office hours, nine to five every day that you're used to. We do have a couple of uh, in-person classes for the summer session as well. But again, regular uh, public uh, open hours do not exist. And you know we don't have a lot of traffic in the house. But yeah, feel free to give us a call or send us an email if you have a question or stop by. We are here, but uh, you know, with limited access. And we, we are mandating masks and scrub-in procedures and... Absolutely. Those are obviously, you know, the city of St. Paul had some guidelines and then uh, the governor's guidelines, absolutely masks are required when you're uh, joining us here. Yeah. It's, it's the same actually when I teach classes at the house with very limited attendance right now is uh, everybody is really keeping their social distance and is wearing masks and... Yep. Uh, then after I'm done, we clean everything off. So we really make sure that we keep everybody safe and healthy. So that's, I think, of course, particularly yep. important right now. And uh, 
been we've been able to maintain that even with our summer camps where uh, we keep summer camps in small pods with uh, with instructors so probably seven to nine kids per pod with an instructor and then they rotate the groups they do a lot of activities outside and uh, the house has like a general smell of disinfectant when you walk in so it, it is overly clean that is for, that's for sure but i think that's really what it takes nowadays uh, quick little question for you, Catherine, here. Uh, online teaching, we're doing quite a fair amount of Zoom classes here lately, which I think personally they are quite welcomed. So what is, what is your impression so far? I am really still very impressed and surprised by how well it's going with that. I really didn't have a lot of um, experience teaching online, you know, bar the occasional tutoring lesson. But now that we've switched to Zoom, we can use breakout rooms. We actually have our teaching materials online, digital edition books and so on. And that's just made it so much more pleasant. And from what I've seen in my classes, it seems that students are really enjoying it. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves, not having to drive, big advantage. I do like in-person classes very much so, of course, as well. And I'm looking forward to when that's going to be more possible again. But in the meantime, I really, really like the Zoom classes. And I have myself now signed up um, for some classes online as well. Not German so much, but yeah. I, I have one lady actually in my class. Uh, she is uh, joining us from Connecticut. Uh, that'd be a little prohibitive to drive, but... Indeed, I had a student joining in from Africa and one from Germany, so also, you know, little on the top side with a <laughs> not around the corner mm -hmm. no i mean it certainly makes sense particularly again now with the i think the need to do this we also found that there is quite an opportunity within that actually helps people to really join us and experience what we have to offer so quite positive so of course the face-to-face -face interaction is always superior but i do believe that uh, lends itself to ask claudia what's what's the fall look like yeah, so obviously putting a schedule together for this fall was uh, difficult to say the least because, you know, the uh, uh, development of the uh, guidelines is kind of a moving target. So we landed on a model where every class is going to be available in an online Zoom version in the evening. So our entire complement of classes from the very beginner start classes to the advanced beginner, intermediate and advanced classes are all offered online via Zoom for obviously safety reasons, but also to open up the opportunity for people who do not live close by to join us since that is a great opportunity. However, we do know that it's best to learn face-to-face -face with a group of people in the same room. So for those people who really prefer to do that, we are also offering in-person classes, small groups, for the A1 and A2 beginner levels. So really only the A1 and A2 beginner levels are going to be offered during the day in small groups here at the house and all the evening classes are all online. And classes will start in the middle of September, September 14th, and run for 12 weeks through the beginning of December. All that information is now online and you can take a look at all the different classes. You will see uh, start 
classes for beginners. Those are for people who haven't ever had a German class up to one year. Then we have advanced beginner and intermediate classes. And then we have classes for advanced people. And uh, the classes that are available online are, can be found under our Deutsch at home section. And the classes here at the house are under the fall section. So you will see three different things. Start one to three, beginners. All online classes are gonna be Deutsch at home and the in-person classes are going to be listed under the fall section. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email or give me a call. I know it's a little bit confusing this year, but um, that's, you know, we feel we can offer something for everybody by doing it that way. Is it first come, first serve on the registration side of things? Yes, or as always. Yep, and uh, obviously the in-person classes are going to be the most limited because we will not have any more than eight people in a class. And, you know, those of you who've taken classes here before know that, you know, sometimes when we say a class is full, but somebody really wants to sign up, we'll say, okay, we'll squeeze you in. That will not be possible this fall. We will have to have absolute strict limitations to make sure that we can put the people safely into a space to, uh, together with an instructor. So especially so, these in-person classes, if you want to take an in-person class, make sure you sign up. Yeah, so timing really is of the essence uh, this time around. Don't wait until last minute to secure your spot, but uh, be in there as early as possible if you prefer the face-to-face -face option. Of course, with the Zoom option, we're, I suppose, limitless to some degree. I mean, obviously, we're not going to put 20 people in a Zoom class. If we see that it's too many, we'll split the class, but yeah. that's much, much easier to do in a online a scenario where we're just going to split the class and have two sessions that is not as easy in for for in person. So the online classes will also have a limit of 10 to maybe max 12 to make sure people still have a good learning experience. But as Katrin pointed out, uh, Zoom allows us to have breakout rooms. So even if it appears, you know, you have a whole screen full of people, the uh, instructors are able to uh, have people work together in small groups, which is something that they do together in a classroom anyways, and then bring everybody back together. So that is a very nice feature that, uh, that Zoom offers. Yeah, it, it works out really well from my perspective. Uh, one question uh, regarding Samstagsschule. Uh, <laughs> is that changing its uh, appearance or what does Samstagsschule look like? So Samstagsschule, uh, we've again thought about it long and hard and uh, based on our really positive experience that we've had with kids at summer camp here that are generally seven to nine years old, maybe a few younger kids, we have decided to offer the Samstagsschule options for the four to six year olds and seven to nine year olds in person. We, uh, you know, we know how to do it. We've done it all summer long with, uh, with summer camps. Again, there will be strict number uh, limitations where you know, we previously had some sessions where we had 10, 12, 15 kids. That's not going to happen this time. We will have smaller groups, smaller pods, but we also know that it is very, very difficult for the younger kids, you know, the four to six and the seven to nine year olds to learn uh, online. So that's why those kids are going to be here in person at the house, socially distanced with masks as much as possible. A lot of things will be done outside, obviously weather depending. Then as we get into the older age groups, into the preteens and into the teen sessions, the preteens, we're working on some kind of a hybrid where there might be 
two or three in-person sessions here at the GAI, just so they get to know each other and you know, maybe come here a few times. The rest of it will be online and teen classes will be pretty much all online. So as, you know, as the age groups get older, more and more and more and more is going to be online. That information isn't quite ready yet because I'm doing the final tweaks, but that all will be uh, online uh, probably by the time you hear this podcast. And I mean, we're recording this uh, episode, by the way, on August 10th. So you do have a little bit of room to register for the September classes. And also I noticed in one of the emails that you sent out that there is a tiny little adjustment in how we name those classes now. Yeah, so those of you who've taken classes with us before are, are used to seeing like the G100, G200, and uh, that was a, a nomenclature that was based on the, the way we use the books that were numbered one, two, three, four, five, six, and we're still going to use those books, but uh, we're going to really take on the naming um, functions or the naming nomenclature from the common European framework, which we've always taught to, and are going to call everything by that level. So you will see things like A1, A2, B1. And if you take a look at your textbook, that's actually what's on the textbook as well. Uh, you know, we've always found that it was confusing for people who switched from other courses to come here and they really had no idea uh, um, what G300 meant, but you know, they were much more familiar and the common European framework is a standardized system. And uh, so we're going to uh, name everything that way. I have a little chart on our website that explains it. So if you're confused by that, take, take a look at it. And again, you're more than welcome to contact us, but that standardizes how we, how we name things and makes a lot more sense for other people instead of just uh, uh, GI-specific naming. The, the, the common European framework is something that uh, comes up routinely in, in the classes. Uh, people ask, what is this actually? Uh, Katrin, you are the one probably with uh, some of the deepest insights into that. What does, what does it actually mean? How does this originate and, and how does it apply to each individual person learning with us? The European, common European reference frame really is a brainchild of the European countries to come up with a standard system, evaluate what kind of language level an individual person has. So it is not just for German, it's for all the important European languages. So if somebody wants to get hired in a foreign country, where maybe the language isn't necessarily their native language, their employers have a way of assessing, okay, how much German does this person actually know? Because I have the same issue here. If somebody comes and tells me, oh, I had two years of college German, that tells me really nothing. Um, so we have six levels in the European reference framework, A1, uh, A2, B1, B2, and C1, C2 with A1 being the easiest at this point. You can take all of these exams here at the GAI. We are the proctor for the Goethe Institute. Um, and they really help establishing common thresholds as to what you should be able to um, yeah, speak um, like at a certain level. So for, for the average student, for the average learner who starts with us not having had German before, what do you think is sort of the average or appropriate time frame to guess that you could accomplish with reasonable success 
an A1 certificate? After about a year. So if you've gone through the A1 level um, with our new system, that would be three classes, um, you should be able to take that exam. And of course, you can always add a semester. I would very much so recommend come talk to me if you're planning on taking this. We will do some pre-assessments to make it most likely for you to be successful at this. And the same actually applies with the pre-assessment when you want to test into classes, right? As to figure out which class should you actually join. So if you have had college German and you've somewhat been exposed to the entire idea and you just want to pick up the ball, you can test into classes through us. Absolutely. That is all online, um, those tests. Uh, we don't administer those in person. The Goethe exams have four components. So speaking, um, listening, writing, and... Reading? Yes, that was the fourth component. Um, um, and so we test them all. With the um, online testing to test into the classes, it's really a multiple choice situation. Um, and it's mainly grammar and vocabulary that's being tested there. It's also, and I'm just departing here a little bit from, from the narrative, if you will, but if you are aiming to actually study or work in Germany, there may very well be the stipulation that you have to satisfy a certain level of proficiency. So we'll pay a lot and take these tests because their exchange organizations require that. Yep, an au pair normally has to have a minimum A1. Mm -hmm. And uh, often if you, depending what other jobs or what other things you want, uh, you, um, um, if you move to Germany, you need to have at least a B1 level or above to be considered um, somebody that could be um, suited for, for a job, for, for employment universities and um, and colleges have, depending on what the, um, the course of study is, they have different levels of requirements. And yeah, if anybody has any interest in that, we have all that cross-reference information and uh, talk to us, we can help you with that. Yeah, and also, um, realistically, if you are coming to us to start German from scratch, um, you could reach a C1. Reaching a C2 is tricky without having lived in Germany for an extended period of time but a C1 is doable, but it will take time and work, clearly. What, what's, what would you expect from a C1? Uh, proficiency in terms of deep philosophical discussions and the ability to write heavy academic papers, or is that a little bit less than that? Heavy academic papers would be at a C2 level, um, which would be really a university level mastering of the language. A C1, you are able to express abstract thoughts, definitely, but not necessarily in an abstract, uh, not in an academic setting. So we're not just talking about concrete objects anymore, but we can now go and talk about theories and feelings and concepts. Um, that are not tied to nouns necessarily. Quite a journey to get there, but uh, an accomplishable one. Yeah. Claudia, do we have anything else on classes? Anything that's noteworthy? Um, no, I mean, I, as I mentioned, the information's all on the website. The, uh, like I said, the uh, classes for adults start the week of the 14th. With the exception of the uh, um, most advanced class, our license course, Oberstufe. C plus starts on the 12th on that Saturday. That's a Saturday morning class. 
and then Zanstag Schule doesn't start until the end of September. We want parents and families to be able to kind of settle into whatever the routine is going to be for them this Saturday uh, or this, uh, this, this school year before we add uh, that. Um, here's just one additional um, uh, in piece of information. We are actually really, really thrilled to offer a program called Climate Kids where we're partnering with an organization that uh, has done quite a bit of uh, work around, you know, climate awareness and uh, climate change. And this is a program that is available for, for, for young people 12 to 16 who have some basic knowledge of German. It's on A1, A2 level really. And it's a Saturday morning program that runs from uh, September 19th into the beginning of December. And uh, we have a really, really cool curriculum developed around uh, learning about climate here in the US, in Germany, being part of the discussion around climate, what climate change is, what people can do, what you can do yourself, uh, along obviously par paired with learning the German words and the German uh, vernacular around that topic. And best of all, is it is free with a fantastic grant from the cultural section of the German embassy through the Netzwerk Sprachvergnügen, where we've been able to secure a grant to finance this uh, program again. That is called Climate Kids, and that is on our website already. And it is for young learners 12 to 16. And that will also be offered in a hybrid version with some classes over Zoom, we're actually working on some field trips and some in person, but uh, quite a bit of the stuff will be offered on Zoom. So we are staying quite active even throughout this time. And I think it's also perhaps appropriate uh, while we're talking classes and pivoting and reacting quickly, just very internally to, I think, applaud everyone who made all this possible from the ones on the front lines uh, to teach the classes to all the office work, Claudia, then Erin, of course. Our new Erin, who we haven't introduced to the public yet, this is going to be one of the future podcasts, but just everybody, all hands on deck to actually make this happen in such a seamless transition is, I think it was, it was quite something to, to behold. Moving on to something a little less technical and perhaps a little less, uh, let's just call it um, administrative. We do watch TV, believe it or not. We actually do that. We're not just running down the meadow singing The Hills Are Alive. We, we actually watch TV. Katrin? What's that, Katrin? I, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat that? For yourself. I oh. run around the meadows a lot. <laughs> um, for those of you who have met Katrin, I'm going to let you put that visual together on your own. <laughs> But um, considering all that, we actually, yes, we do watch TV. We actually have a quite rich TV tradition with some of the shows dating back now 50 years and still running. Others have at uh, this point, unfortunately, met their demise. But this is topic number two of today's. What do we watch? What do we not watch? Where is the US coming into popular culture? And where do we perhaps have influenced popular culture in the US because believe it or not, we actually have. And that is also answering one of uh, the questions that I've received in 
couple of months ago from one of um, our students asking, well, what do you watch? What can you recommend? So this is our second segment that addresses that. What did you grow up with, Catherine, watching? What was on TV at your house? Um, I would say that at my house, probably there was less TV than at the average house. Um, I would like to point out that until, oh, I don't know, 1985-86, we had three programs. And only in 1986, something around that time, um, we got two additional channels. So we had five altogether, which was, you know, the opportunities were endless at that point. Um, but I do uh, remember watching some Sendung mit der Maus, which is still running today. It's a kids program, science kids program. Um, Löwenzahn, which is also a kids science program, a little bit of a different format. Um, and then, of course, a little bit older, heavy diet of American detective um, shows like Fall Guy or, you know, along those lines. And then... Yeah, Claudia, I'm sure you remember the Schwarzwald Clinic, the Black Forest Hospital, um, which I don't even have the words to describe that. But uh, I think it was watched with the same sort of enthusiasm that things like Game of Thrones today is being watched. And that tells you about how limited our options were. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I used to uh, be in a youth club, uh, a Jugendhaus, which is a very common thing in Germany at the time I was growing up in the 80s. And we actually did a little sketch comedy talking about cable TV, which was coming up in the 80s. And as Catherine said, up until then, we had uh, three channels. And um, in my house, actually, we watched a lot of sports, um, uh, specifically football, soccer, because my dad was a huge soccer fan. And uh, anytime there was a game on, uh, it would be watched. And yeah, we didn't watch a lot of uh, other things. My parents like some of the traditional German Volksmusik to much of my chagrin. And uh, so, but, but we also watched a lot of uh, um, detective and uh, cop shows. And uh, there are so many of them. And one of the most uh, or best known ones is called Tatort, which uh, basically means uh, like, place of crime, right? This is where the crime happened, Tatort. And that show has been on as long as I can remember. And uh, yeah, 50 years. And uh, then there were also some music shows. And Katrin, you and I talked about that. There used to be a show called Hit Parade, a hit parade that was, I think, on on Monday evenings or something. And uh, people, uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a chart. Uh, it was basically the music charts and people were doing some really, really bad lip syncing and uh, the moderator audience. We yes, asked in front of a live audience, but yeah, it, that was something that we, that we always watched. And then actually game shows. There are a lot of really popular game shows, Der Große Preis or Wetten Das or, or those kinds of things where we're back in the 80s already, 70s and 80s. Uh, we, we used to watch a lot of those things as well. And yes, Schwarzwald Clinic, the Black Forest Clinic, that was, um, yeah, that was not to be missed. And again, those were the days before you had VCRs or DVD, DVRs or streaming or whatever. It's like, if you weren't home at the time the show was on, you missed it. And that could have been a tragedy, so. Of course, it was a full family affair. Yes. 
there were no second TVs. That was the only thing that was available and you had to know it to be able to talk in school on Monday. What happened on that Saturday night on TV at the big game show of the week? Betten thus dates back uh, quite some years. How would you compare this to a, an American show? Perhaps a, oh, it's good, a good question. I, I suppose a mix of, of celebrity interview meets uh, the Titan games uh, that are currently being broadcast. I guess somewhere in between there is, uh, is the reality of Betten thus. Yeah, you kind of had to. Uh, you kind of had to uh, had to know, have some special skill or some special thing that you were able to do. And uh, Vetten does basically means like it's like a it's like a, I dare you or 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 that kind of type thing. It's like I dare you that I can do X, and then the people would do the, whatever stunt or a feat of something knowledge. And uh, yeah, that was greatly televised. Another thing, actually, that I do remember. There were a lot of like variety shows, like with music and interviews with people and, and you know, uh, um, like, yeah, I think variety show is the best way to, uh, to describe it, that were in large uh, uh, venues where, you know, bands were there and people got interviewed and activities happened and uh, trying to think how to uh, better describe them. Well, I think that Vet and Das really was sort of the gold standard because number one, the bets they had were a bit out there sometimes. I remember one person bet that he could um, weigh yogurt by the gram on his teaspoon without a scale. So he put by visual the yogurt on the teaspoon and you know he was given some amount of grams that it was supposed to weigh and he got it. He somehow got it. Um, and also, if you wanted to see actual international stars, pop stars, movie stars, that was a show to go to because they had the likes of Bill Gates or Madonna or Cher or somebody come to the studio and actually talk to people in front of a live audience again, which, you know, in other shows, it was more about the games. They didn't really have the star power that does had. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. And the, uh, by the way, it, it's not that the, the guest, the superstar, <clears throat> completed the bet or the stunt, if you will. They bet on whether or not the person is actually capable of doing what they said they would. And I think the perhaps untimely demise of Wet and Dust was a stunt gone horribly wrong. Yes, somebody, I think, got hurt very bad or even died, I think. Oh, he got... Uh... Uh, paralyzed. paralyzed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And at that point, I think that the moderator, who was himself at that point larger than life, uh, Thomas Gottschalk, uh, just I think called it quits by simply having realized that this is pushing the envelope too far. But in the very beginning, I said that we perhaps um, Claudia. Thomas Gottschalk wasn't the first moderator of no. the show. It was. Uh, it's no. Frank Elstner, who started it. And so that show had a really, really long time. And Thomas Gottschalk actually came up through, through he was like a talk show host and did, did, did some other things. So he was just a, lar a very well-known um, person on TV in general. But uh, yeah, so game shows were a big thing. But then, you know, we also obviously, as we mentioned with the Black Forest Clinic, we had some of our uh, soap operas, our German soap operas. 
Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to connect to earlier was with tattoo arts or crime scene, basically, which I believe really gave birth to the American version of CSI. Yes. That would be one of the very few times where we probably influenced sort of in a reverse kind of way, the American entertainment industry. And then, of course, uh, I suppose at some point before that, actually, the U.S., heavily retaliated with Baywatch and made David Hasselhoff a superstar in Germany. <laughs> yes, heavily, yeah, retaliate is a good way of saying that. And I do remember watching some American movies that were obviously then dubbed into German and they were usually on later in the evening or, or it was then like the Spielfilm on Saturday. And uh, obviously that has changed much now since there's, you know, streaming and cable and and satellite and all that stuff in Germany now as well and has been for for a long time but some of these they almost have cult status some of these older uh, uh, TV shows and people still talk about them and people do stream them and people do do watch some of the old old series that uh, have been around for a long long time and as Katrin said some of them you know uh, like Die Sendung mit der Maus which is a science-based uh, kids show or some of, some of the other shows like Tatop, they are still around. They started 50 years ago and they are still around. I think interestingly now with Netflix and the likes, um, really the German TV consumption diet, or I don't know if that's TV or streaming or whatever, has gotten a lot more European. I mean, the shows coming out of Spain are really quite spectacular and we would have never seen that in Germany before these times. Correct. Yeah, we did see maybe some Swiss shows or some Austrian shows. You know, everybody is familiar with ORF, which is the uh, national Austrian TV uh, and uh, the Swiss stations. Or maybe, you know, we live closer to France. There were some of the border areas in, in the north. I don't know if some stuff maybe went Dutch or to Denmark in some of the border areas that you could uh, watch some, some of that TV. Yeah, but most importantly, we were close to the border to Eastern Germany. So we got some Eastern German TV and that was something else. We yeah. had the Sandmännchen coming out of Eastern Germany and that was just a little kid skit, you know, right before bed. At 7 p.m. Yep, nothing political. But then we also had shows like Der Schwarze Kanal, the Black Channel, which was the propaganda channel of the Eastern German government. I mean, that was an experience. I'm surprised nobody has mentioned Tom and Jerry yet, which far preceded uh, SpongeBob, but that's the stuff I grew up with. Or out of France, uh, Asterix and Obelix, yes. um, which were actually drawn comics and then made into comic strip, comic movies, if you will. And that was just the highlight of every kid's life is when somebody actually had a reel-to-reel -reel of Asterix and we were watching this. It was just phenomenal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Before we move on uh, into what's actually current on Netflix, because uh, Tatuat, I'm not sure whether people can actually receive here, whether it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime, uh, you'd have to look into that. Uh, most of those shows that we've referenced so far are pretty old school and most of them actually discontinued. But just to set the stage real quick in understanding the European or perhaps more Austrian-centric media landscape before we became, I suppose, internationalized, 
was we had the ORF, like uh, Claudia just said, the Austrian Broadcasting Association. And that was the end of it. They served, uh, they served two channels and a couple of radio stations, uh, three at that point, actually. And that was our media diet. And of course, uh, we were taxed for media. So there's the media tax, um, which everybody objects to, but it was enforced. They actually took this out of your uh, paycheck. And then over the course of time, we became a little more educated in terms of technology, got satellite TV, and now, of course, cable. And uh, RTL came in, Pro7 out of Germany came in, and we sort of essentially expanded our media diet. And then in the mid-90s, the kingdom of Austrian radio, if you will, tumbled. And the ORF, who had essentially a monopoly position within Austria, finally opened the doors for radio stations to become privately owned and broadcast in Austria. And to give you just an idea of, uh, of scale, in Austria at the heyday of reference uh, of, of, of radio, we had 55 radio stations. That was in 1997. So just also when I was in the middle of, of having my career there. And when I looked into the US at that point in time, there were over 15,000 stations. <laughs> I mean, of course, the US is vastly larger than Austria, but simply just the, uh, the scale difference is just mesmerizing. So the media diet was a little restricted. Yet still, I think we, we had quite some fun. So with that being said, the question is nowadays, of course, with Amazon Prime being available, with Netflix being available, Hulu is out there. Uh, I think there are very few barriers anymore to, to really watch whatever it is you want to watch. So the question then becomes, you as the German learner, or perhaps proficient German speaker, wanting to keep up with uh, current shows, what can you actually watch? And this is part two of our TV segment here. What, what is current? Uh, what do you know of, uh, Claudia? So both ALD and ZDF, which are two of the main German three channels that we initially talked about, actually have pretty good apps. And um, if you want to watch just, to, just for learning purposes and stick with some of the traditional German TV, um, which you know, always used to be channel one and channel two, uh, they have really good apps and I, for example, watch the news, the German news there all the time because it's, it's easy and they, and they then have uh, uh, sub channels for children, for this, for that, they have their news magazines. So, so for people who just kind of want to keep up with maybe you know, German current culture, German news, German uh, uh, traditional TV in the sense of, you know, what would be compared to ABC or, uh, you know, CBS or NBC here, watch ARD or ZDF, ARD or ZDF. Um, and uh, a lot of the other stuff, yeah, streaming and, uh, and, some, and some of those other options, again, as, as you said, some, some, some content you have to be careful because not all content is available in all countries and all languages for like Amazon Prime or some, some other stuff. I've tried to watch some things that I know my brother can see on Amazon Prime in Germany that I cannot get here in the U.S. and vice versa. And Katrin, what, what do you think? 
I think that especially for kids, there is a vast um, offering on the two public channels that you were just saying. Um, Mediatek on the ZDF comes to mind, where really it's sorted um, by age groups and they have a lot of educational programming um, that would fall under the uh, content language learning category where you're learning the language by listening to it but you're also learning about a topic so I can highly recommend those two channels um, as far as Netflix goes uh, any of their shows of their self-produced shows um, can generally be turned onto whichever main language you want them so even the shows that aren't coming out of Germany can be put to German, but of course the ones coming out of Germany, Dark and Babylon Berlin would come to mind. Um, Günther mentioned Freud earlier as well, uh, although I believe there's a heavy accent in there, a heavy dialect, did you say? Yeah, Freud actually is one of the more recent Austrian productions and just also already in full disclosure, it has very little to do with actually Sigmund Freud. So we're not talking deep philosophical, psychological concepts in application. There is some side swiping as to Freud's history, which of course uh, has uh, had its own critics over the years. But if you really want to experience the Viennese dialects um, in all its flowery beauty, that would be the show to watch. And I am not even going to lie, for the first um, episode, I temporarily had to turn on the captions. <laughs> Yeah, I believe that um, very much so. Um, another good thing to watch on Netflix also is comedy, stand-up comedy. I mean, there you're really getting into the intricacies of the German language, but if you're an advanced learner, that could possibly be very interesting. And some of these are, you know, second-generation Germans um, that are expressing their view of German culture through the lens of really having been raised, you know, biculturally. Yeah. Do we, do we have any, any recommendations uh, that we can put in the show notes uh, for people to perhaps look them up if you have access to um, any one of those big streaming networks, uh, you may have a good chance of grabbing one or two of those shows, but at least we have some form of recommendation from our side. There was a series called Deutschland 83. Deutschland 83, yep. uh, Babylon Berlin, like you just mentioned, uh, Katrin, then we have Freud. We have Turkish für Anfänger. Okay. Turkish for beginners. I think it's a comedy. Sounds like it. So for, for people who are not aware, the uh, Turkish population is the largest immigrant group in Germany. And um, um, there's a, a lot of people, who, as Katrin mentioned, you know, who grew up um, bicultural in, in Germany and maybe of Turkish descent. And um, it's now um, become so much part of, of the German fabric that, you know, it's really hard to distinguish anymore what started where and, um, and it's, it's become really well integrated. Well. Yeah, and Deutschland 83 then had the sequel Deutschland 86. Yeah. On 2020, Deutschland 89 is coming out. Okay. That is, I think, the last one that they're doing, but I'm not entirely sure. And I think those are all on Prime. Very well possible. And I cannot believe that neither one of you has mentioned gute Zeiten, schlechte Zeiten. 
<laughs> what, what would that be? The, the German version of the Young and the Restless? Something like that. Some soap opera that is yeah, available and has been going for the last 20, 30 years. It's a, it's a daily soap. And uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, I don't watch the soaps here in the US, so I, I really don't, you know, but gute Zeiten, schlechte Zeiten, trans, literally translated means good times, bad times. So wide open to anything you want to talk about. Yes. It, it, it does. There are more bad times than good times, really. Yes. It, it does, however, allow you to start at the beginning and develop uh, the knowledge about uh, the characters that are playing throughout the years and at the same time just improve your German without really having, I would say, to worry too much about the depth of a storyline. I think that really is the idea. I think that's the other one, right? And then Das Traumschiff, the love boat, the German version of the love boat exists as well. And that's something that has been shown you know, a few times a year. Those are always like specials. And uh, I guess I'm just looking it up. It's been around since 1981. So the German version of the love boat is called Das Traumschiff. And it is still happening. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, so obviously quite, quite a few recommendations, uh, some better than others. Uh, of course, uh, I would say we strongly, strongly encourage you to email us at podcast at gai-mn.org if you have particular suggestions that you are super fond of or perhaps would like to let people know that this was not the real deal. And we can certainly distribute that throughout our teachers so that we have something of value to tell our students. So yes, please keep us informed as to what you believe is great and perhaps what is not so great. Claudia, can we take a quick, just 10,000 foot overview as to what's coming up in the fall in terms of events? Yeah, so uh, obviously our uh, event schedule is a, is a little bit uh, restricted due to uh, COVID, but we are managing to put a couple of uh, events uh, together. The first one happening here Saturday, August 22nd, and speaking of, you know, the Turkish uh, population being the largest immigrant group in um, Germany, we are having a Turkish concert with Makam Baklava, which is a and that we've had here several times at the GAI, and they are playing an outdoor concert on Saturday, August 22nd. Pre-registration is required because as with uh, all other things, there, there's limited attendance and you need to pre-purchase your tickets. And that information is available online and you can also purchase your tickets. And then we are able to put together a little itty bitty type of Oktoberfest and um, we call it Oktoberfest Light, and it's going to uh, be Saturday, September 19th for pickup, meaning if you, uh, you can order party kits with beer and with uh, Land Diego, which are sausages and some other treats and some other fun stuff, and if you want to celebrate at home, you can pick that up on Saturday, September 19th. Or you can sign up for seating here in the Biergarten on uh, September 20th on Sunday. We have two rounds of seating, very, very limited availability, of course, where you purchase a kit and the seating and uh, everything is going to be spaced out here outside on the lawn 
Also, that information will be uh, available on the website. There are too many details to mention, but yeah, mark in your calendar September 19th and 20th for Oktoberfest uh, Light. And uh, August 22nd, Saturday, for the concert with uh, Makam Bakhtawa. And um, that's it for the next couple of months, because you know, there's really only so many things you can do. Yeah, and I mean, let's just also, of course, be honest, uh, with the absence of uh, the actual Oktoberfest, the St. Paul Oktoberfest, and the actual Oktoberfest is not taking place either in Munich. No. So we're all kind of in the same boat, uh, which for us means uh, 20,000 people that we won't be able to welcome to um, the Schmidt Brewery this year. So all the more, I think we need to really make sure that we just emphasize limited space, and we would love to see you. And that also means that we only can see very few of you. So the sooner you get on that list, the better it is. And I think also the more, of course, we appreciate your support throughout uh, those months. Yes. Well, that was an interesting potpourri of things from administrative to TV to uh, drinking in the park. <laughs> try to, you know, try to cover it all. The times. Yep. Those are the times. Um, in terms of future podcasts, of course, uh, please stay tuned. We will be releasing our episodes as usual, mostly still, of course, recorded from home. We try to keep everybody as safe as possible. And of course, the call stands that if you have any questions that you would like us to answer, whether this is cultural or radio programs, since we just talked about TV or opera which I know very little about, and I will certainly not sing for you, but I can talk about it. Uh, please just email us at podcast at gi-mn.org. I think, at least from my end, that's, that's all I had. Claudia? Yep, that's all. That's all, folks. That's <laughs> a TV line. Well, then, thank you so much for being here, Claudia. Dankeschön. My pleasure, as always. Katrin, thanks for joining us from your wonderfully cozy looking porch. You are so welcome and we'll see you all in the fall. Yep. And this is Gunther. Thanks so much for being here. We'll talk to you again soon.